Good morning. Happy Mother's Day. Give yourself another round of applause for the moms in the room. <clears throat> well, um, as Ken said, we have been a part of Journey, and we love this church, and it really is my honor that Ken and Julie asked me to share with you this Mother's Day. 23 years ago, I was pregnant with my first daughter after several devastating miscarriages and being told that I would probably never parent. About this time, I was coming into the end of my first trimester, and I was praying that this time, this baby would be mine. October of that year, I gave birth to a healthy 8-pound, 11-ounce baby girl, and her middle name is Kristen. I mean, her, middle, her first name is Kristen. Her middle name is Faith, because it was in the faith of the Lord that he answered our prayers, and I was able to be a mom for the first time. And moms, you know what this is like, especially if you've really wanted to be a mom, and you've been waiting. You, you, you hold that child your first child, or you meet your first child, and, and you have all of these dreams. You have all of these plans for their life, right? Like they're going to be in Harvard, accepted by grade seven, right? They're going to meet the perfect guy or the perfect girl, and they're going to be a perfect addition to your family. And then the best part, they're going to have perfect grandbabies for you, right? Because grandbabies are God's gift to us for getting them to 18 and beyond, right? So we have all of these dreams, and I think, I think Dr. Seuss, he sums it up pretty well in all oh, the places that we will go. And you will succeed. Yes, you will indeed. 98 and three quarters percent guaranteed. Kid, you will move mountains. So be your name Buxbum or Bixby or Bray, or Mordecai Ali Van Allen O'Shea. You're off to great places. Today is your day. Your mountain is waiting. So get on your way. Doesn't this sum up how we feel about our kids? Like, like we hold these perfect little creatures and, and we think they're going to do everything perfectly for the rest of their life. We put toothpaste bows in their hair. I'm a mom of girls, so you have to forgive me. Toothpaste bows in their hair and little ruffles on them, and we dress them up, and we're expecting great things. Today, I'm a wife of 27 years. I met my husband at Walmart. True story. He was on register six. I was on register four. I was checking out way more than groceries. And we're now the parents of eight amazing young women who call us mom and dad. Seven of the, our daughters came to us through the gift of foster care and adoption. Because you see, after I had this gift of God, this gift of faith, I almost didn't make it off the table. They almost lost me. And she was in NICU for seven days. And I remember my doctor looking at me and saying, you cannot have more children. And I thought, I'm thankful for this blessing, but 
but I'd always dreamed of a house full of kids. And I felt like a part of my dream had kind of died. And I was thankful and I was grateful. And then about 10 years ago, God opened our eyes to the area of foster care and adoption. And our first daughter came to us at two, in 2006, and her middle name is Hope. Because she fulfilled all of those hopes that we had had all of those times. We, we, we have mama dreams, and we, we pray mama prayers. Every mom in the room knows what that's like, to pray those mama prayers. And last week, Jono talked about calling, how especially in our 20s, we're kind of always looking for what is our calling. And for, for us moms, we kind of felt like we arrived the first time that we were called mom. We felt like that was our calling. And motherhood, it feels like the biggest responsibility that we will ever have in our lives, and it is. But it's not our highest calling. Our highest calling is to love God and love others. That's our highest calling. And I remember one time when God put me in my place and reminded me of my place in my children's stories. We were well on our way into our journey as uh, foster and adoptive parents and all of our kids came to us as teenagers after our biological daughter was a teenager so um, when God gave us my dream of having children he just threw us in the deep end all girls all teens all hormones but one of our girls was going through some just significant challenges and it wasn't really what I had expected from this thing called foster care and adoption. It, it, it didn't meet kind of my idea of what I thought should happen. And I spent a lot of time in prayer. And I spent a lot of time in self-pity. And God isn't always the greatest guest at our pity parties. He comes in and turns over some tables in our lives. And I remember praying to God and feeling sorry for myself and asking the why me questions. Why am I having to go through this? We're just trying to do a good thing. Why is this happening to us? And very clearly, deep in my spirit, a question arose. And the question was simply this. Who told you that you get to write her story? And I thought, well, that wasn't exactly nice. That wasn't exactly what I wanted to hear right now. But it was truth. Very quickly after that, God reminded me of the scripture in Hebrews. Because you see, God is the author and the finisher of our faith and the faith of our children. We, our children have a story a timeline that's written that God knows before they're formed in the mother's womb. And he has authored that. We just kind of, he just kind of selects us and says, you have a purpose and a plan. You are a character in their story. You get to play a role. You get to steward and you get to link arms with me. And we get together, we get, to, we get to do this in your child's life. 
But, but you see, I'm the author. And, and what I have planned for this one is not going to look like your expectations. It's not going to look like how you want it to look like. And this particular daughter today, God has brought so much beauty for ashes out of her life. And I look back and I think I would have never in a million years written that story that way. I would have had a whole lot more roses. I would have had a whole lot more lovey-dovey good times. But God said, no, we need to sh- I need to shape her in a certain way. And there's people that I know are, that are coming into her life in the future that need her right where she's at right now experiencing this because she's going to be able to minister backwards out of that story. And mama, I know, I know this hurts you right now. I know it's not what you want to see. I know you're frustrated and you're sad. But I love her more than you ever will. I created her and I know how the story ends. Hebrews 12, 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame as he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. None of us would say we're responsible for our children's salvation. We know we're not responsible for salvation. Jesus did that on the cross. Why then do we think we're responsible for how their life turns out and for every part of their story? The Bible is very clear. The faith of our children begins and ends with Jesus, and he is the author. And we just get to steward it. And even though we have to let go of our children and let God accomplish his will in their lives, he doesn't leave us empty-handed. A farmer wouldn't call you to come tend his field and steward his field and not give you tools. And God has called us to steward the hearts of our children, and he's equipped us with the tools to do it. And one of the most powerful tools that God has given us in partnership with him is our faith. And we use our faith like arrows planted securely into the future of our family and into the future of our children. Because you see, this arrow, this is a distance weapon. I mean, I could probably poke someone's eye out with it. I might be able to swing it a good couple of times and leave a bruise, but I'm not going to even break an arm with this up close. But if I were to load this into a bow and pull back with the right tension and aim it properly, it'll kill a man. Because it's an effective distance weapon. And and you see, we sometimes think that our faith is something that we get to use and see right now. But our faith looks like this. It looks like a promise we stand on now that we send way out into the future. And I love 2 Kings chapter 13, where King Josiah is coming before Elisha. Elisha's on his deathbed. He's dying. So the king is coming before him 
to try to get the last nuggets of wisdom and blessing out of this great prophet of the Lord. And he comes before him and Elisha says to him, take a bow and some arrows. So he took the bow and some arrows and then he said to the king of Israel, put, the bow, put, put your hand on the bow. And he put his hand on it and Elisha put his hand on the king's hand. I love that imagery. I love the idea of Elisha laying his hand over the king's hands as he pulls back on that bow and prepares to aim his arrow. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us. When, when we go before God in prayer, when we're praying in faith, the Holy Spirit comes alongside us and he wraps himself around us. And as we pull back that arrow of faith, he's helping us to aim it at just the right place. And he said, open the east window. And he opened it. Then Elijah said, shoot. And he shot. And he says, that arrow is your arrow of deliverance and victory over the Syrians. That's what this looks like when we re release faith into our children's future. We pull back the arrow, we aim it, and we send our faith way out there into their future. We send our faith into relationships with them that are centered on Jesus 30 years from now. We send our faith into their future as husbands and wives whose hearts are solely seeking the Lord and who raise their family in Christ. You see, I'm a product of an arrow like this. My family, my natural family, and I love them, but there could be quite a reality show about the dysfunction in my family. But 29 years ago, on June 1st, I walked into Walmart and liked a guy. And what I didn't know about this guy was that his family was incredible. My husband's grandfather is one of eight. Seven boys, one girl. All of them are pastors in churches across the southeast. Many have written books. They preach the gospel. Almost every person in the parish family serves the Lord, many of them running nonprofit ministries that minister to the broken. When I married into that family, I came under that covenant. And let me tell you about that covenant. There was a great-great-grandmother who prayed every morning and every night that her family would serve the Lord from generation to generation. I'm standing before you as a product of that arrow because God has answered that grandmother's prayer in ways that I'm telling you blow my mind to this day. Oh, there have been some that wonder, but they always come back because that arrow of faith is sitting out there somewhere waiting for them. That's how it works. And then he said, take the arrows, and he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. So he struck the ground three times. And the man of God was angry. And he said, you should have struck five or six times. And then you would have utterly destroyed them. 
We give up way too fast. Our faith is a persistent faith. We don't quit until we see the deliverance of the Lord. I imagine that the gates of heaven are full of my arrows, standing before the Lord. And that that they're there, like, God, I don't see this right now, but it's there. I know you see it, and I know you're a man that you shouldn't lie, and your word is true, but I'm going to send another one right beside it, and I'm going to send another one right beside it because I want those prayers standing before the Lord as a testimony to the goodness and deliverance that I know that he's going to have in my family. We ask, we seek, and we knock. And we ask, and we seek, and we knock. And we pray, and we believe, and we pray, and we believe. But for our arrows of faith to be most effectively, most effective, we must learn to yield them properly. So this morning, I'm going to talk to you about three ways that we use these arrows in our lives. First, we're formed into them. Then we use and defend against them. And then we have the opportunity to create and form them. Isaiah 49.2, He has made my mouth like a sharp sword. Your prayers, based on the word of God, are a sharp sword. And in the shadow of his hand, he has hid me. I love that, that part of this verse. Because sometimes, I don't know about you, but I feel so invisible. And I feel like nothing's happening. And, I, and I'm reminded, it's okay, he's gotten me hid. I'm hid. Right now, I'm in a hiding place, and it's okay. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. So first, we're formed into effective arrows in God's hands. And the first step in being formed is to resist negativity and sin in our lives and allow God in his word to shape us and mold us. But here's the thing about being formed. It's pretty painful. And most of us, all of us, 100% of us come to God looking something like this. With all of our stuff sticking out here and there. All of our negativity, stuff like, I'm a terrible mom. All of our rejection, stuff like, you know, they like that mom down the road better than me. Stuff like anxiety. I'm so afraid of what the future will hold. Stuff like loneliness. No one understands what I'm going through, and I can't talk to anyone about this. Stuff like isolation. I don't want to burden anyone with my stuff. Stuff, stuff, stuff. And I'm not even touching on the sin. Stuff. And this is how we're walking around trying to use our faith and engage in battle. Is anybody scared of me holding this? I mean, I could throw it, but it's probably not even going to make it past the second row. I could get up close to you and try to... I might scratch you, 
But nobody's afraid of me because this is an ineffective weapon. All it's good for is being burned up. And this is how we go into battle. This is how we try to use our faith. But God says, no, I need to shape you and form you a little bit. And the challenge is, for us at least, that that forming comes in struggle. James 1-2 kind of tells it like it is, and it says, Count it all joy when you suffer trials of, you know, one or two kinds. It says, Count it all joy when you suffer trials of many kinds. Because in those trials, your patience and endurance is made perfect. This is, this is the refiner's fire, the potter's hands. And it looks something like this. I can't, I can't do this. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. They, they really, they don't like me. It doesn't matter what man says about me. I serve a mighty king who says I'm infinitely valuable. I am created in his image to do great things in his name. I'm, I'm nervous about the future. I serve an eternal God whose plans for me and my family are for my benefit and my good and not my undoing. I'm alone. I'm never alone. I have the comforter who is my constant companion, who's always with me. And I don't want to be a burden. Cast all your cares upon me. Trust in God and trust in the relationships that he has put around you because you are never alone. And suddenly we find ourselves being formed. Day by day, prayer by prayer, faith by faith. And as the branch is stripped and sanded, it's polished and it's equipped with, a, with the word of God, which is sharper than any two-edged sword. And wisdom and understanding, which guides us. And, and now, if I were to pick this up and load this arrow in it and point it at you, would you be afraid of me now? Well, you should be, because I don't have a clue how to use this thing. I can use it in faith. But of course you would be afraid of me. This is an effective weapon. This would kill someone. And second, we have to practice both using our arrows and defending against the arrows being used against us. And this is what it looks like. I love Philippians 4.8. This, to me, is my arrow verse. Finally, brethren... Whatever things are true, arrow, my children have been placed in my life and my family has been designed on purpose. Therefore, who I am in partnership with God is enough. I'm enough. Whatever things are noble, arrow, serving my family meeting their needs, 
putting aside my own attitudes, my own ideas, my own desires in service to another, it's an arrow. It's noble. Whatever things are just. Sometimes loving and having grace for anyone, especially our children, in times when it doesn't look like they deserve it very much, it's just the right thing to do. Arrow. Whatever things are pure, this is the hard one. Because in times of frustration, we put on what I call resentment, bitterness, and anger glasses. And we look through those. And that person in our life that God's called us to love, all we can see is what we're frustrated about. And the minute they come into a room, or the minute that we hear their voice, or the minute they show up on our text message, all we see is frustration instead of seeing their innate value and purity before the Lord and seeing them as God sees them first and acting out of that place of value. Whatever things are lovely, oh, how we need this one. I sometimes need to just paint one of these pink and put a bunch of flowers on it. We have to purposely choose to see the lovely things that are in other people and mamas. We have to see the lovely in ourselves. We say a lot of bad stuff about ourselves, to ourselves. You know, if people talk to us the way we talk to each other, our husbands would probably beat them up. Or the way we talk to ourselves, I mean. Our self-talk, we need to change that. We need to be good to see what's lovely in ourselves and in others. It's an arrow. Whatever things are of good report, there's hope and redemption in our stories. We hear a lot of negative reports. ADD, ADHD, lying, stealing, skipping school, running away, medical diagnosis. We get a lot of reports and a lot of labels. And, so, and while some things are what they are for now, we have to speak in faith. And we have to send arrows of good things into our future because I, I, I serve a God who brings beauty from ashes, who could use anything, anything. I just sat two weeks ago and listened to Amy Copeland talk. She's the young lady who lost both hands, both legs, when she fell off of a zip line and had a flesh-eating bacteria. She's there in her wheelchair, and she's talking about her faith and how strong it is and the opportunities that God has brought into her life that with two legs and two arms she never would have had. Beauty from ashes, the good report. It's an arrow. And this is my favorite part. And if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on those things. How many of you know that there are many weeks, days, that the if there are any is just what our life is? I mean, your child's running around naked in the cul-de-sac every day. They've eaten hot dogs for dinner for a week. There's peanut butter between the couch, and they found the Sharpie in the back seat of the car you know what? They didn't go to bed hungry and they brushed their teeth. We're going to count it a win. If anything is praiseworthy, think on these things. And that all sounds fine and good, 
But we forget that we have a thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And instead of truth, he gets us to believe lies. Things are never going to change. They're never going to get better. Instead of noble things, he gets us to meditate and act on selfish things. Instead of just things and right things, he gets us to do the wrong thing. Instead of pure things, he puts our focus on the negative. Instead of lovely things, we, we're always thinking about all the bad things that happen. And instead of the good report, we believe the bad and we catastrophize the future. And instead of virtuous and praiseworthy things, all we find are faults and failure. That's why 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal, but mighty in God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. We have to take things captive. And some of you, this might mean getting off Facebook, off forums and blogs, blocking WebMD from your browser. And it might mean putting some boundaries in some relationships. Because Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The story of the cross is redemption, and we must focus on the redemptive story in our lives and the lives of our children. It's the only way to defeat the enemy. And finally, we get to form arrows, our children. Whether they come to us through birth or through foster care or adoption, all of them come looking like we did with branches of stuff. And sometimes their unpolished branches poke us. Sometimes their unpolished branches scratch us. But just like you, God is working out a plan in their life, and he's polishing them, and he's using you in partnership with him. Psalm 127.4 says, Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. We are warriors when we use our faith and we send it out there in partnership with God because his word is true. And his word stands the test of time. And he never fails. And he won't forsake us. And his plans are good. They're not for our undoing. One of the greatest privileges we have as parents is to take all we've learned in our own pruning and use it to shape our children into mighty vessels to use in God's kingdom. So we take these arrows and we send them out there and we trust God for his will. Ken preached a few weeks ago on the will of God and the will of God is his word. And when you're praying the will of God and you're praying the word over your children's life, they may go many places 
You may like some and you may not like others. But I'm telling you, there's an arrow planted out there that they're going to run into eventually because you've sent it. And that arrow is going to lead them straight to the cross and straight into the author and creator of their faith, his purposes and his plans for their life. Now, if you would, if you're a mom in the room, would you stand up? Can everybody give the moms a hand? You Stay standing. You are mighty, mighty, mighty warriors for the Lord. We've all heard the phrase, hell knows no fury, like the prayers of a praying mama or a woman scorned. But anyway, I, I, made it, I made it my own, and it's okay. Because you, these kids are close to your heart. And you know the plans that God has for them. And you're praying arrows of faith. And let me encourage you, Mama, those prayers aren't meeting an empty heaven. And they're going out there and they're going to accomplish what is good and perfect will of God for your children's lives. And here's what we're going to do. The band is going to come. And as they come, they're going to lead us in worship. But we have a gift for you, moms. I want you, as the band is singing, I want you to come forward and I want you to get one of these packages. And in it is a necklace. And this necklace is a cross with an arrow wrapped around it. And at the center is a heart. You can wear it as a necklace. You can make it a bookmark. You can hang it on your rearview mirror. It doesn't matter. But I want you to use it as an air, as a reminder of your faith and our God who is good and will hear your prayers. Now, will everyone else stand as we enter into prayer and worship and bow your heads with me? If you're standing next to a mom, just place your hand on her. Father, I just thank you for touching each and every mother in this room. I thank you for the gift of motherhood that you've given us. I thank you for the gift of faith that you've given us. And Lord, right now, I ask that you bless these moms, that you keep them, Lord, that you make your light shine upon them, Father. Lord, that you come to them and that you answer their prayers. And Lord, as we've had the opportunity to share in your word today and we enter into worship, we thank you for who you are, our good, good Father, our Alpha and Omega beginning and end. We thank you that you, in your infinite grace, have brought us here to this moment.